0: If you have your Bibles, you turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 is we will begin a sermon series through the next month that all three campuses will participate in. As Allen at North and Heath and East are preaching through Mark chapter 11 as well, and we will look at God's ministry to the nations throughout the month of July. It's already July, by the way. I love the Fourth of July. Amen. I love all, I know today's the third, by the way, some of you are thinking today's the third, it's not the fourth. I love the 4th of July, I love Independence Day, for all that it represents, I love that all that comes with it, uh, I tell people all the time that they ask, what do you guys do for the 4th? We, we get together just like anybody else, with friends and family. We also do the most redneck thing that our family does, which is watch the city fireworks from the funeral home in Athens, that's what we do, <laughs> and, uh, and it's awesome, and we enjoy that. But I know that it represents more than just food and family and fireworks, all those things. I'm I'm thankful for the freedom that we enjoy in this country. I'm thankful for our democracy. And while I know and and everyone else here knows that we are an imperfect nation, I'm certainly thankful for those who have worked a great deal of service and who continue to work now to keep our nation one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. I'm thankful for the United States. I'm thankful for where we live. It's interesting though as we look today in Mark chapter 11 how much we will see the word nations or mention the word nations now and in the next month. As I've said many times before and will continue to say that God is not working on a country. He is working on a kingdom and it is a kingdom where God gets all the glory through Jesus Christ the Son. So let me pray for us and we're going to jump right into Mark chapter 11. Lord, I thank you for today. I We can't pray enough. God, we demonstrate faith. We all bow and close our eyes, and Lord, we talk to you through the blood of Jesus that gives us clearance and permission to approach your throne. And Lord, I thank you, Father, for who you have created us to be. Out of love, you created us, and out of love, you have made a way for us to be saved and rescued. And Lord, today, I pray that we would simply and seriously rely upon your word to show us who we need to be and show us who we are. Lord, if there be one or many here today that's just lost, God, they are searching and seeking for help. May they understand that today all the answers are caught up in you. Lord, if there be people here today that are hurting and need a word of hope and encouragement, once again, may they look to you also to find all of the wisdom of God and all of the truth for the light or truth for the path that they take. God, we pray that you would minister to us today, Lord, but we also pray that you would fill us up and send us out so that we would be a light in this world, a light in this country that we say that we love so much. God, I pray that we would bring light to this nation. It is your desire to reach the nations. We love you and thank you, Lord, for loving us. And we pray over this message today. pray that it makes sense in our heart and mind and that you draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look at Mark chapter 11, if your Bible is somewhat like mine, before you actually read verse 1, you have a subheading there that says, Jesus' triumphant entry, the triumphant entry. Well, I googled the grandest entrance this week when studying, and when you google the grandest entrance, most likely your results will be like mine that show everything that has to do with the WWF. The WWF is the World Wrestling Federation, or what it is known now as the WWE, which is the World Wrestling Entertainment. But like many young boys, I went through a short season of my life where I thought professional wrestling was the best thing ever. And most every wrestler that you know of or even see on TV today, when they enter into the stadium or enter into the gathering on the way towards the ring, They have like this walkout song and a routine that is matched with their persona, and they enter in the grand entrance to pump up the crowd and to get themselves ready for the wrestling match. Now, my favorite wrestler of all time is the Ultimate Warrior. Why does somebody somebody laugh like automatically on that? Why would you laugh at the Ultimate Warrior, right? (laughs) Now, do you want to know why the Ultimate Warrior is my favorite wrestler of all time? I really don't know honestly I I thought about it this week it's my favorite one I think I used to have the action figure I couldn't really tell you why I think it's because of the energy when the ultimate warrior made his entrance to the ring he would bust through the curtains and dead sprint all the way to the ring and he would jump up in the ring and he would grab the top ropes and does anybody know what he would do anybody there we go we got some wrestling fans down front and across there we go I don't feel as weird now that he would take the rings and he would just shake them like this, just radically shake them. And then I guess the opponent knew that he was in trouble as it was just all out energy, violence ready to go. And this energetic entrance spoke to his performance. So with that weird and awkward intro, let me set the stage for the Scripture. (laughs) The way you enter says something of who you are. The way you enter says something of who you are. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Let's read together, and I'm thankful that we're in the New Testament this week, and I don't have to pronounce Old Testament words. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it, and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. And as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw the garments over it, and he sat on it. And many in the crowd, verse 8, spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. And Jesus was in the center of the procession. And all the people around him were shouting, praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. And then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the historical center point of the nation of Israel. It was a lost city of sorts because God's chosen people, who had the temple presence of God there in Jerusalem, lost it to conquering and neighboring empires because, as Judges taught us, They did what was right in their own eyes. And the more that they began to do that, God is a just God, and their actions gave way to consequence as the temple and the city as they knew it were destroyed. At this time in Mark chapter 11, the Romans were the occupying power of Jerusalem. But the people of Israel still had a national identity. They still liked to come together and celebrate who they were, much like we do on the 4th of July, realizing and celebrating who we are as a country. They would come together in Jerusalem during the Passover and other celebrations like those to remember who they were as a nation. Now, the Passover was the remembrance of God's protection and God's deliverance from divine judgment from the hand of Pharaoh. The angel of death passed over the homes of those Israelites who had the lamb's blood above their door, giving them freedom from from Pharaoh, eventually leading to their exit miraculously. And During the Passover uh, celebration in Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem is much like the city of Tuscaloosa and Auburn on Saturdays in the fall. The population triples. They were coming into this city for this celebration, for this sense of nationalism and to remember who they are and where they're going. And devout Jews from all over the place, all over the world, in fact, would make their way with a sense of nationalistic pride to Jerusalem. It was into this environment that Jesus intended to enter into a way that he would be identified for who he really is. He would enter into the city of Jerusalem this day wanting people to know exactly who he is. You see, before he had told others not to reveal that. He had told others not to say what had happened through his healing and through his miracles. He did not yet want to be identified in this way because it wasn't the time. But now in Mark chapter 11 and in Jerusalem, his final week before his death, and resurrection, now was the time for the statement, Jesus is king. I'm talking about today as well. Jesus is, is king. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was sent and still is sent for the rescue of our very souls. He is the key to heaven. He is the way to heaven, the truth, and the life. He is the one that you are looking for if you have shown up today hoping for a word to help you. Look no further than the person of Jesus who is the King of kings and the Son of God, the Messiah of the world. With Jesus were the disciples, close followers of Jesus who were very proud to be with him. But as we studied in Mark before, they didn't really know themselves all the way about the magnitude of the identity of Jesus with him in the crowd were Jews that welcomed him. There were those that we saw here in the Scripture that were celebrating Jesus, and they likely did so out of wonderment. They have heard of his miracles. Now he's here with us. They can see these things firsthand. Some of them were celebrating him because of this. Others were celebrating Jesus because he was from Galilee. History teaches us that the culture would honor a guest from, Gal- from Galilee, but there are also others in the crowd the religious ruling order that did not care for his entrance as they threatened he they were threatened by his power and then the scripture says in verses 27 through 33 that they would begin to rival him and challenge him for his entrance and for what he was doing he was actually trying to help folks can you believe that let's take that away from him and then there were the romans The Romans were also there presiding over the city. And the Romans likely likely scoffed at the idea that this was a triumphant entrance. They likely laughed at the idea that this was a grand entrance at all. You see, and if you look on the screen, there's a picture here of, of Julius Caesar. For Roman emperors who were triumphant warriors, they would return from war having killed thousands and bringing hundreds of thousands, maybe even more behind them that were now their slaves. And when these triumphant emperors began to enter the city, they would have all of this violence lined up behind him and they would enter in with a white horse leading out front and a golden chariot. You see this, according to the Romans, this was a triumphant entrance. So this man on a colt riding in on the shirt sleeves of his followers is not so much what they were thinking about. How could this be anyone's king? I'm sure that they thought. But our king is different. Our king conquers thousands by giving life, not taking it. Jesus, divinely and with perfect knowledge and complete authority of everything that was going on, he arranges for a young donkey— a colt, to be his transportation. Now, if any of you know anything about riding a horse, just try to get on an unbroken colt and see what happens. So for Jesus to arrange for a colt unbroken and for him to sit on the back of that colt and ride with ease into a city is a sign of two things, power and humility. This is our king. Power and humility. Humility. The tack on the colt, and I don't miss this. The tack, and by tack I mean the, the saddle and the blanket and all the things that you put on the back of a horse or donkey or colt to ride. The tack on the back of the colt was the garments of the people who were glad to see him. It was the garments of the people who would then lift up praises. And and then for those that were not the disciples laid their clothes down on the back of the colt so that Jesus could ride on their clothes and wouldn't have to sit on the back of him. And the others would would take of their garments and what they had and they would lay them in the street so that Jesus could ride upon something other than just the ground because they felt so much for him that what he could be, that they would give of themselves and lay it down. They would bring branches from their fields and they would lay them down in the street for the king was coming. You see, this is a symbol of the people laying down what was part of themselves at the feet of the king. If you want to leave out of here today with a brand new day, you're going to have to leave part of you in here. And I would likely say all of you in here. For it is total submission to the King of Kings. And maybe you're thinking, what if I can't do that? Let me at least reassure you, you need to. You need to let him have it all. Everything, every part of you that's a dark corner that you don't want Jesus to see but he knows about already, you need to let him have it so that there will be light there. The parts of you that you hang on to, the parts of you that you are clinging to, lay those down at the feet of Jesus so that he can be king over your heart and king over your life. All of this that you see in Mark chapter 11 is not some random act that Jesus set up. It was what God had instituted all the way back in the Old Testament. This is prophecy fulfilled. And if you don't think all of this is the true Word of God, let me read to you from Zechariah and see if it don't match it point for point. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. All these years before Jesus arrived, the Bible says, Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and he is victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Do you see the separator there? Now, somebody may have been able to arrange this for themselves, knowing what the Scripture says, and grabbed a donkey up and rode it into town, announcing that they were the Messiah, but not a colt. I don't care what kind of horse whisperer you think you are. That ain't happening. The tack on the colt, again, with the garments of the disciples. This was prophecy fulfilled. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse 9, don't miss this, Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting praises. Now, just let me read that one more time and take it in. And take it in for the application of your own life. Jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting praises. Y'all, this is how it's supposed to be with every day of our life that Jesus is in the center. We are playing off of him. Our prayers and our praises, all of the things that we have are laid down before him. This is a picture quickly of life as it should be for those who are following him. The shouts that they made, Hosanna, that we just sang in the New Living Translation is just praise God, praise God. These shouts of Hosanna, these shouts of praises, these were actually calls for deliverance. They were, it was like they were shouting, Savior, save us. Savior, save us. So, King, deliver us. So, for a moment, again, this is how it's supposed to be. Jesus in the middle. We surround him. Our life that day and every day is shut down according to how he would lead us. The things that we have are laid down before him. And so, the people, though, this was disrupting all of the expectations of most of the folks there because they expected a king to come in like Caesar and take down Caesar and everybody else that rivaled them and to be a king that would once again restore Israel to this place of national promise. But rather than raising up a forcible presence for Israel, Jesus began to speak to spiritual matters. Did y'all hear that? Rather than raising up a force... To lift a country to prominence, he began to speak to spiritual things. These people were sensitive to that. The leaders were very sensitive that Jesus was speaking into the truth that they were so-called teaching. And the reason why Jesus didn't raise up Israel to take over and become a prominent nation is because there is a greater need in the world. The conquest of Jesus would be towards the hearts of all people. The conquest of Jesus would, would challenge the expectations of people. Lord, have mercy, may I say it plainly, as we are surrounded with all kinds of flags both ways. What everybody needs from this room on out is a change of heart made by the living God. All that, all, that's all we need is for God to get a hold of our hearts. From the side streets over here to the houses we walked by in Ohio last week with all kinds of flags and signs, everybody out there and everybody in here needs a takeover. We need the King of Kings to call our shots. We need the King of Kings to tell us how to feel. We need the King of Kings to tell us how to see the world and with as much value as he sees it. We need the king of kings to show us how to treat people and how to see people. This is what he is working up within Israel and in Jerusalem and in the city as he's walking in. This is a king who is there to not take over Rome, but to take over the hearts of those who are in Rome. To take over the hearts of those who would believe. Even now. Even now, I think many even here today would want Jesus to come back and to forcibly take over or beat down those who would oppose his teaching. Don't say amen to that. But folks, that would mean we're all going to take a beating. Now, some of y'all heard that. For all that sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none that are good. No, not one. So for the ones that we would like God to come down and get them, He's going to have to get us too. But instead, He gives us Himself and lays His life down so that we may be forgiven. And then God gives of His Spirit to work on the inside of us, to change us from our weary and wounded and broken and beat down and bruised up and solid, sturdy hearts that won't do anything, anything of value. The praise That the people gave him, though, was momentary because not long after his grand entrance, Jesus, the Son of God, fully man and fully God, was approached by a mob of resentful religious folks with a bunch of other guys with them and then this crowd of men came and arrested Jesus and falsely accused him and beat him and whipped him and executed, the, executed Jesus. And get this, Jesus let him. Now, why would the king of kings, all-powerful that you're talking about, why would this Jesus let them take him out? If he's a king, then how does that work? Because our king establishes his authority By surrendering his will to the will of God. By by laying his life down to serve the needs of the people. This is our king. This is the character of our king. Understand this. This is a good word and I didn't come up with it myself, but I want you to hear it. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. Hear that again. The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. It's one where the people are instructed to love their enemy. It's one where the people are not under the authority of the king because they were born into it, but because they are born again by faith. It's one where people are not under the authority of of the king by situation, but because of devotion. It's one where the king is honored not because of demand, but because of his service and character and him laying down his life for those who are in his kingdom. It's one where the king rules with grace and truth and desires that all should come into a right and real and personal relationship with the king. Not just knowing who the king is and being at a distance and hoping he passes by, but our king makes it so where you can come into his presence and have a conversation with him. This is an upside-down kingdom. It's one that is eternal. For there will be no conquering empire that's going to overcome the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is both now and not yet, as there will be a full realization of the kingdom of God in eternity. Our king wore a crown. He absolutely wore a crown, but he wore a crown of thorns. He took the punishment for his subjects. Our king doesn't administer punishment. He took our punishment. Our king was exalted. Yes, still exalted, but he was exalted on the cross and died for all the things that we struggle with. For all the sins that keep us apart from God, our king lifted himself up and brought himself before the wrath of God. But one thing that is right side up with our king is the idea of total authority. Y'all, as serious as I can make it, that's what we need the most. We need King Jesus to be the total authority of every living Christian. We need him to preside over us with the Spirit of God guiding us in our submission unto him. We need him to be the king of our heart and the king of our lives. If you are thinking to yourself today, why is my life like it is right now? Let me just follow that up with this question Has Jesus ever been the Lord of your life? I did not ask, Have you called upon him to save you? I'm asking today, Have you called upon him to save you and be your Savior and invited him to be your Lord and take you over? That is biblical salvation whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The need of every person here, but let me tell you, Jesus will not forcibly deliver anyone. He does not save you because your mom and daddy saved. He does not save you because you're attending church this morning, even though we are so glad that you are here. He does not save you if you give towards tithes and offerings and those things. We are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What shall we do? It says in the book of Acts, we should turn from our sin and turn to God. There is a real spiritual-driven turning from sin, and there is a real faith belief in Jesus Christ that He is the way to God and has satisfied God's wrath over us and our sin. The application, I believe, in Jesus is King. If you look in verse chapter chapter eleven, verse nine, it says Jesus is the center. As our praise surrounds him and our lives are laid down before him. This is how it's supposed to look. Now, what's interesting is that the next morning, as we move past verse 11, Jesus gets up the next morning and he's ready for breakfast. And there are no Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts, and there are no fast food places that serve biscuits. So he passes by a fig tree, and that fig tree, which he made, is supposed to have fruit. But it's a little out of season, the Bible says, so it doesn't have fruit on it yet. And so because it was not bearing fruit in season, Jesus, with the disciples looking on, the Bible says, because he did it for a purpose, and Jesus always acted with purpose. With the disciples looking on, he cursed the fig tree. And later on, you look in the chapter 11 and the fig tree was seen by the disciples and it was deader than four o'clock. Deader than a disco. Graveyard dead. Y'all heard any one of those three? Dead. Now, don't you think that the disciples were like, man, I've been hungry before, but that's crazy. Like he has annihilated this tree because there was not fruit on it. Now, for those of you long time Christians, you may be picking up where I'm leaving off. The way that he looked upon this tree that was supposed to be bearing fruit, but didn't. He cursed it. And maybe we would think to ourselves, that seems just a little harsh. Well, how many of you have ever put money into a drink machine? <laughs> or a snack machine? And it took your money and did not give you a drop, Or it took your money and your pack of crackers got hung up in there. What did y'all do? Grace and mercy be upon you. <laughs> Everyone needs grace. We move, we move past and move on to the next vending machine. No, you didn't do that. I know you didn't. What did you do? First of all, you hit it, right? You hit it, and then there's, you, sh- you shook it right from the side or from the front. And then my personal favorite is when you reach your arm up in there. <laughs> you are not satisfied with it just not producing I mean, the way that we look at that is like, you are the image of provision, yet you are not providing. Y'all see what I'm going? Image, but no substance. The appearance of production, but no production. Read with me in verses 15 through 17 as Jesus is about to connect that illustration of a fig tree with no fruit to something even greater. Verse 15 says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Don't you see the same thing here as you saw with the fig tree? Fig tree was supposed to produce fruit. The temple is supposed to be a place of reverence and prayer. But instead it's a swapping and shop. And this is what it's become. And so that's why Jesus with the disciples looking on cursed the fig tree because what they would see next would be a temple presence that is supposed to be holy and ministering and supposed to be fit for people coming to lay down their life and pray and open for all nations has become a marketplace. And what does Jesus do with this righteous anger? He starts flipping stuff over like this ain't gonna happen in my house. This temple was left in Jerusalem over time. This temple was dedicated to the service of God for worship and for prayer. But over time, this is something that you need to see, it had been expanded on the outside. The temple remained, but on the outside of it were these different long courts. And what you had here outside of the temple were the courts of the Gentiles, and in the middle was the temple of God. Gentiles meaning everybody that was not of Jewish descent. Everybody that was probably not there for worship. And while the world was looking on, the Jewish leaders led them to see the worst of it all. While the world had gathered around what was to be a sacred, holy place of worship unto the one true God, you got religious leaders in there exchanging money and taking people and swindling people just so that they could keep power. And instead of evangelism on the outside, they were corruption on the inside. There were those who made the trip for worship, and they brought with them what they thought would be a suitable sacrifice so that they would lay it down. The blood would be shed as God saves through the system of sacrifice. And this would be the placeholder until Jesus arrived, but they would bring in these animals, and the people in the temple that were running things would be like, yeah, that's a pretty good sacrifice, you know, but in order for you to make a real sacrifice, you're going to have to exchange that one for one of the animals that we've got right over there. Oh. Well, great. Yeah, that's going to cost you a small fee. Oh. So now we can't just sacrifice freely. We have to give this amount. Y'all, some of y'all got giving twisted up now. Y'all got it twisted up. We walk in here thinking like, we'll get to be a part if we give. That's not why we give you the opportunity to give. Lord, have mercy. I don't give of my tithes and offerings so that I can be the pastor. I give of my tithes and offerings because he's my God. Because I don't have anything if I don't have him. And everything I have is from him. And so my giving is a demonstration of faith based on what I see in the word of God. I'm not given to satisfy any of y'all, I guarantee you. I'm not given to, to say that I came to church or to be right before God. I'm giving as a demonstration of faith because God is my provider. Don't get giving twisted up. see, so there were those that made this trip, and then there were those that were charging this small fee, and all of this was happening. And then they were taking, they were swindling people. They were, they were, they were giving doves at a small fee. Do you all know what that means? Poor people were being taken advantage of. Then the money changing, as you saw that in the Scripture, he knocked over the tables of the money changers, the Bible says. The money changing, it had to do with offerings. There was an offering that was instructed in Exodus that if those were coming to the temple, they had to bring what was called a sanctuary shekel. It's there in Exodus, a sanctuary shekel for the tabernacle. Now again, these things were set up, but, but the sacrifice that God wants is our heart. Y'all hear me? That's what the Bible says, that the, that the sacrifice, the, the laying down is what God wants from us. Is it's not the animal, it's not the shekels, it's our life before the Lord. So people would arrive with what they thought would suffice, but was not a sanctuary shekel. Well, guess who was the bank? The bank was the ruling religious order. We'll exchange that, but the exchange rate was not one-to-one. We'll exchange that if you give us what you got we'll give you an offering that will satisfy the Lord based on this amount that you will give to us as a small fee. All of the things written at the bottom, we'll change it out. You may go in and pray, pick up your bulletin on the way out, take it to the restaurant to say that you've been here. I'm just kidding. Y'all take those. That's fine. If they allow you to do it at Bojangles or wherever, my word, please go right ahead. Pretty sure we've done that. (laughs) Don't know. That's not even in here. All right. The exchange rate favored the religious order. So there was, y'all, this was big business, is what I'm telling you. It's not like they had set up things so that people could give or made ways for people to get. This was those in power keeping power based off of taking money from people. And it was not just a small kind of side deal. According to one source, as many as 255,000 lambs were slaughtered at Passover in Jerusalem. So you can imagine how they were upset with Jesus when He put a stop to it. So you messing with the money is the way they were looking at it. Again, this is image without substance. This is the appearance of production with no production. There were religious people at the temple, but there was no reverence at the temple. Did y'all hear that? There was religious people there, but there was no sense of mission, no sense of worship, no sense of prayer for themselves. It was only a religious observance. And leaders, we got to be careful. If you're a leader in this church, sometimes you show up knowing that you're a leader and just what you do every week, and you're just here to satisfy the people that are coming in. You give them a word, feed them, send them on out. Is that why we're here? Or did we start because we love the Lord and we know what he's done for us to eternity and we just want to serve him? We want to help people. Prayer, y'all, is not a religious observance. Prayer is our greatest demonstration of faith. It's an offering of dependence When we bow our head and we close our eyes, we are admitting our dependence upon God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And y'all, we are afforded that privilege by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't just have prayer. People talk about how we pray all the time. We don't get to just pray all the time because we think we should get to. We get to have an audience with Almighty God because Jesus laid his life down to clear the way so that we could. See, that makes prayer and prayer services that we avoid a little bit different, doesn't it? When we know what it is and then we see it up there and know that we're having it, those are services where the people of God can get together and as one body be the church that God has got in mind and start to get down on their knees before God and throw up dependence at Him. Why? Because God is pleased by faith. That's how this church was built, by the way. Growing a church by faith for believing God to do something that we cannot do ourselves. If we try to do it ourselves, we're sunk. And it's the same way with our families. We'll do this. We'll take this. We'll read this. We'll go see this. We have got to believe that God's way is better and trust it every moment. Every moment. Prayer is not this religious thing that we do. It is a house of prayer. It's a house of dependence. For who? For all nations. If the first point was that Jesus established himself as a humble and servant authority as king, the second point is that Jesus maintains his dedication to the Father's Word as priest. Now, I want you all to notice that part again. Jesus maintains his dedication to the Father's Word as priest. Because what happened in verse 17? After he flips over the tables and runs sin out of the place that was supposed to be sacred, Jesus said to them, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now catch this. He acted what he quoted. Do you ever hear that? Write it down. He acted what he quoted. That is a one-line sermon. His decision and how he went about it was based on what God's Word says. He was quoting Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7 when he said it. He was quoting Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 11 when he said it. This is why the leading priest and all those ruling religious folks, why they couldn't question him because he was quoting the Scripture. They knew he was right. If we are following Jesus, y'all, by the Word of God, let this be a word to the church today. If we are following Jesus, we need to cleanse the temple and reach the world. Some of us, our yards are cleaner than our heart. Our cars are cleaner than our heart. We need to cleanse the temple that the Holy Spirit of God now resides within. And we need to reach the world because the Gentiles and the Gentile court, looking on to this sham of a church that was the temple, taking people's money and taking people from money from poor people, they were looking on to that, must have been thinking, I don't want any part of that now. If that's who your God is. Our lives, our sanctuaries must be welcoming. Our lives and our sanctuaries must be engaging with the courts of non-believers on the outside. I want us to note this for a final word. The house of prayer is to be such, the Bible says, for all nations. Now again, I don't want you to get me wrong. I very much love and appreciate the country that I live in, and I'm with you today in honoring our independence and know the history. But all the United States is just one country that Jesus died for. It's just one country that Jesus died to save. For he is a God of the nations. And the house of prayer is to be a house for all nations. We celebrate independence and freedom and democracy today as a country. But the kingdom of God is not limited to one people group. Just as long as we know it. Amen. Just as long as we know it, as long as we don't hold it with invitation to church from somebody that looks different than us, we think would never come here. Whenever we go into a place where we think, I don't think they'd ever go to church with us, just remember God's Word says different. God's Word says that your sanctuary, your home, this place, your relationship is for the nations if you follow me. Zechariah chapter 9, I want you all to go back there. We quoted this. Prophecy, Jesus arriving, he's coming in, he's, he's strong and he's humble and he's arriving on, on, on a donkey and an unbroken colt. And then verse 10 of the same chapter says this, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. Hey, any of y'all want peace in the nations when you turn on the news? Well, here we go. As Jesus said, I will bring, I will bring, your king will bring peace to the nations. There's a world on the outside of this local church ministering or hoping to minister to a community that is on the outside. And y'all listen to this. Not many of them are looking in. So many are looking, but not many looking in. Can I invite you to Wednesday night this week where we will actually go out into the community can I tell you that we took a group to Ohio this week where a number of them have never done anything like that before, just went out and engaged people, and they did it, and we brought them back alive? <laughs> so this week on Wednesday night is, and the next couple of Wednesday nights is we do things to reach and to minister to people. As we do these things in the next couple of weeks, as as we look at some of our ministry partners and we partner with them on ministry, in the latter half of this month on a Wednesday night, what we're going to challenge you to do, we're going to challenge you to have a neighborhood cookout where you actually knock on the door of your neighbor, if you know them or you don't, and just say, would y'all like to come eat barbecue with us? And we're not going to pay for it because we can't pay for all of that. But if you can, if you can't pay for it, we will. How about that? If you can spring for a burger and a hot dog for two or three of your neighbors to come over, for what purpose does the Bible not tell you to love your neighbor? How are you going to love them if you don't know them? Does the Bible not tell us to reach to those around us? To go and to make disciples? These things on Wednesday nights that we will do in July are biblical things for the glory of God and the good of man. Come on. So come on. Like, be here. Listen, I know that not everybody will be here. I just know it in faith, man. I, I know that God could do it in all of our hearts. I'd love to see everybody here for the next two Wednesday nights reaching in as we do a service project in here. And then on one Wednesday night going out and meeting people in the community. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Some of y'all have already said no in your heart right now, even as I mentioned it. What does that do anyway? Right? Like, what, what does that do? What does that do for you? You know what I, do, I believe? I believe the Holy Spirit of God, when the church is obedient, begins to work in the hearts and minds of unbelievers to the point where they think about God. That's what I think. If the Holy Spirit does the work, we just need to be obedient. I'm, yes, take it as a challenge, a loving challenge, because I know you can. I know you can. Today's invitation, as we think about our church, as we think about the call to the nation's All of this is a call to faith. It's a call to believe in Jesus more than we believe in ourselves, to believe Jesus to be the king of our heart, to be the king of our life. It's an invitation to refocus our faith this morning. It's an invitation for Jesus to be at the center, surrounded by our praise, and with the offerings of our life. It's an invitation to line up once again with the Word of God. Begin serving and living for His glory. For He is still the King of kings. He is still our high priest. And he is still the one that the whole world needs for eternal peace. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. If you bow your head and close your eyes, I want to invite you to join this church today. If you want to put your yes on the table and say, this is where we want to belong. Would you think about joining us here at the altar? Maybe catching us after service just to tell us that you'd like to join the church. Maybe you need to be baptized today and you want to come and get some answers to maybe some of your questions. Or maybe today is the day where you finally stop trusting in yourself and you call upon the Lord Jesus in faith for Him to be your King and your Savior. We can help you with that. We're here for that. We want to help you. Maybe today you just need to come and pray as there are many people that are hurting. You want to come pass right on by us and go to the altar and pray. Please come to the altar and pray. This is a house of prayer. Right where you are, you want to bow your heart, and your head before the Lord. And whatever God is working up, you want to talk to him about it. Knowing that you can because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, We ask that you guide us through these next few moments. Lord, if we need to come and pray, if we need to move and make a move to join, if we need to be obedient to the place of service, Lord, if if we need to be saved today, I pray, God, that your Spirit's work on our heart would be found to be undeniable, Lord, and that we would turn from ourselves and turn to you. God, we pray to be the church that you've got in mind. Pray to be the people that you have in mind. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy when we don't get it right. Thank you, O Lord, for your forgiveness when we fall short. Lord, we don't live and we don't give so that we'll be saved. We live and give and serve because we are. So would you take us in these next few moments, Lord, and do a work in our heart during this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you. Let's worship and respond together.